Hi, everyone. Welcome to Health Chronicles podcast. This is Hedel, along with my co-host, Fadum and Fatu. Today, we're going to discuss all things travel. It seems very, very huge and encompassing, but uh, we'll try to break down all the things that we can in regard to medications, how to modify your routine, how to get travel insurance, what documents to take with you along on your journey, and all things um, travel. So I'm going to start off with Faduma because you've had the most recent travel experience, I would say, especially traveling abroad from Kenya. So just talking about routine and adjusting with your medications, how was that experience for you? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Harold. So I, yeah, since I got my kidney transplant in 2019, I've traveled about four times, I believe three to four times. Um, and so I got my kidney transplant at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And so I was there for the better part of 2019. And um, I did actually do some local traveling before my international flight. And so I did a little bit of a road trip to Madison, Wisconsin. I uh, took a bit of a longer flight to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and um, just specifically, even with the United States, because it's such a huge country, there's, you know, the time differences that we have to take into account, um, even in the United States when you're traveling. And so um, I think the biggest thing that has helped me with that is number one, just um, being aware of the time differences and having that on my phone on the clock app. And just um, clocking in the different time zones that I frequently move around, uh, move around through. And so, um, for example, um, I was, I believe, about four months um, post transplant when I did a quick trip to Phoenix, Arizona from Minnesota. And so even with that, I had to first check in with my healthcare team. Um, obviously would not recommend to travel um, anywhere less than six months after a major surgery. And so they were a little bit concerned about me traveling, um, you know, close to my four month mark. Um, but I just recently had uh, a very deep dive um, hospital visits, checks, um, a biopsy even um, during my four month mark. And so my team felt confident that I could take this short trip to Phoenix. Um, and so with that even just um, once I had that um, go ahead from my team, it was just understanding like you had just alluded to Hira, like the um, the time differences and how to adjust my medication time. And so um, I believe the difference, the different, uh, the difference with the, between the time in Minnesota and Phoenix was just a couple of hours where Phoenix is a little bit behind. And so that wasn't too complicated. Um, what I, what, what really helped, uh, what really helps me and helped me even then was just setting, um, alarms for the different times. And so just calculating, okay, I take my medication at, 9 a.m., 9, 9 p.m. And so just subtracting that by two and saying, okay, in Phoenix, that means I'll be taking it at 7 a.m., 7 p.m., for example. Um, and so just adjusting that. And I was, that was my first time traveling post-transplant. Um, and even like during, even through my kidney, like uh, kidney failure um, phase and dialysis, that this was really the first time that I was traveling. And so, um, I was very, uh, very anxious about it. I 
I was, I didn't even trust myself to make the correct adjustments to the time. And so I, I think eventually um, purchased a, like a watch that I could just keep on my wrist and that I could check the local time of where I was, which was in Minnesota. And so I wouldn't change that watch just to double check with my alarm clock and know that I'm doing it right. Um, and so I did that for the first couple of trips that I that I took after that, just just to have like um, like a safe net, like a safety net in case um, in case I messed up with the alarms. Um, but I think it was just internally a way of me processing um, this new lifestyle, and um, and it was a way to manage my anxiety and and just to have that sense of control and just being like two hundred percent sure. Um, so that was the biggest adjustment for me is just being like really aware and careful with um, you know how I shift the time zones. And the thing and the trick is also when you're traveling to a different time zone is making sure that you're not like completely adjusting um, the medication. So for example, like my trip, the difference between Minnesota and the uh, and Phoenix, Arizona time isn't significant. It's just a two hour, I'm just guessing, and maybe it's two, three hours by this time, but it's around two to three hours difference. And so it's not too significant where I would need to completely adjust the time. Um, it's just sticking to it, but just subtracting the time. Um, whereas now with um, the bigger trips that I've had recently where I um, have traveled quite um, quite frequently between the United States and Kenya, which is in East Africa. So that's a humongous um, different time where it's um, about nine hours of time difference. And so there's no way where, um, for example, right now it's 9 p.m. East African time. Um, the if, if I was to take the medications at the same time I would take it in the US, like it would just be completely different where it'd be like 3 a.m. and 3 p.m., like just odd hours. And so in that, in, in those scenarios, then what I have done is I just slowly adjust the time and, and increment it or reduce it um, by 30 minutes. And so um, that's where planning really comes in. And so if I know that I'm going to be traveling in the next two to three weeks, I would start like slowly adjusting, um, adjusting my medication time, the times I take my medications to my destination by just incrementing, like adding or subtracting 30 minutes um, every day or every other day, just gradually. So you can have that gradual change of when you're taking your medication. That way, when you get to your um, destination, then you're not taking your medications at odd hours because high likelihood is that you'll maybe miss the alarm if you have to wake up at 2 a.m. because you know, 2 a.m. is what is 2 p.m., um, like 4 p.m. in New York or something. So what would be an example of that, Faduma? Can you give that like number wise? Yeah, sure. So just opening up my clock app right now, just don't want to give a very good example. And so um, I'm currently in Nairobi, Kenya. And um, previously to that, the place that I've traveled back and forth most frequently is Minneapolis, the so Minneapolis and Nairobi time. And so I would have both, um, I have a number of different cities on my clock app, but um, I would say I, I would focus on the Minneapolis and Nairobi times. And so 
like I said, there's a, there's a difference of eight hours between Minneapolis and Nairobi, um, where Minneapolis is behind. So right now it's 9.25 p.m. East African time and Minneapolis is 1.25 p.m. So it's eight, how, eight hours behind on the same day. And so I usually take my medications in Kenya, um, 7.30 a.m., 7.30 p.m., but 7.30 p.m., if, if we were to um, look at 7.30 p.m. Minnesota time, that would be, um, that's how many hours difference? That would be like 11, 11 p.m., like close to midnight. Um, and so that's like, for me, for example, I'm already way asleep by then. And so I would struggle to wake up at that time to take my medications because you because 7:30 p.m. is 7:30 a.m. is 11:30 p.m. right in in, in in Minneapolis and so if I want by the time I get to Minneapolis to take my medications at a normal ish time, um, I would want to now take I would want to now um, start taking my medications a little bit earlier. <laughs> Um, I hope this is not too confusing, but I would, as I'm in Nairobi and preparing for, for my flight to Minneapolis, I would then start taking my medications a little bit early in Nairobi, where I would say, let's say I'm starting at 7.30, I would take it back to 7 p.m. Um, one day, then the next day, take it to 6.30 p.m., the next day, take it to, um, you know, 6 p.m. and so forth. That way, that then at the same time, that would that would take the time back in Minneapolis as well. So by the time I get to Minneapolis, I wouldn't be taking my medications at 11 p.m., which is 7.30 p.m. in Nairobi, 7.30 a.m. in Nairobi. I'll be taking it, uh, let's say if I take it back like 30 minutes for a, a couple of times, I would maybe take it by 9 p.m. Minneapolis time, if that makes sense. So it's just, it to me, it was quite confusing at the very beginning. That's why I felt like I needed to have like a wristwatch that wasn't changing time. So I could always check on my my local times and just make sure that I was making the correct adjustments. Um, and, and that's the tricky thing with the time, time difference zones is that 7.30 a.m. here is 11.30 p.m. in Minneapolis time. That's the, that's, that, that's the time, right? And so if I want to take it back, then it's just reducing every 30 minutes. So it's reducing 11.30 p.m. to 11 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. to 10 p.m. while I'm still in Nairobi. That way, by the time I get to Minneapolis, it's I'm taking it at normal-ish time. That suits me. And so some people may find 11 p.m. not too late for them, and they're and they don't want the hustle of changing, of reducing and 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 adding all the time. And so I wouldn't recommend that if you're someone who travels quite frequently, because then you keep you keep changing your time, the time that you're taking medications, like 30 minutes, 30 minutes. You know, it takes a while to gradually have that change because you can't just jump you can't just take your medication um and then switch to by an hour because that's too much 30 minutes is your window of change and so that's why it's recommended to do the 30 minute change increments or or uh, decreasing that like gradually um, but if you're someone who travels frequently i think that would be such a hustle right like um to keep changing that. I know that's something I've struggled with. And I, 
I haven't, I've only traveled like twice or three times um, in the last year and a half or so. And so if I was traveling more frequently, I would like stick to, if I, if I have, um, you know, if I am aware of the places I'll be traveling frequently to, I would like find a time that works for all the time zones that I may be traveling to. That way I don't yeah. have to change it too much. Yeah. I think what helps too is um, what I've done before, because this 30 minute increment thing is definitely new to me. What I've done is just be mindful that whatever, I guess, time that I'm comfortable with taking the medication in whatever new city or country that I'm in, uh, is just making sure that the medication I take is 12 hours apart. So just making sure that I have the 12 hour difference um, in time window before I take the next set of my medications, um, just so that you don't have the overlap in such close timing. Cause they do want you to wait the 12 hours between the doses. Yeah. Um, so whether that's like with our medication, cause we take the immunosuppressant or if that's some other medication where there's like a different time window, um, just making sure that you account for that, whether it's eight hours or 12 hours or 10 hours that you make sure that there's that separation in time before you take your next dose. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And that's why, like, I know that's that, like, that's where um, I know even in the beginning, um, aside from traveling, um, if like, I used to be so strict with the times that I would take my medications. Like if it's 7 p.m., I have to take it 7 p.m. on the dot, not one second earlier or less. But with experience and um, with like ch chatting more with my medical team and with other transplant patients, you do have that 30 minute window where um, if you take it five minutes late, it's not the end of the world. Um, this is like 12 to 11.5 hour window where you need to take your medication, like for, for immunosuppressants, right? It's like every 12 hours, but there's every 12 to 11.5 hours. Um, I know whenever I do my trough level at labs, um, that's something that I always have my medical team ask me is, you know, when was your trough level taken? Was it 12 hours, 11.5 hours after you took your last dose? Um, and when I when I when I met with the travel office um, when I traveled for the very first time post transplant, that's something they had um, they had shared with me is that if needed, um, if if the time that you take the medication at your destination is at a crazy time, you can change it in 30 minute like increments or reducing it by 30 minutes so that um, it reduces the risk of you missing it because um, unless you have an accountability system where you have you have an alarm clock and then someone else to wake you up or something, if it's an, if yeah. it's an, uh, an odd hour, um, then you do have that like option of of um changing it by 30 minutes yeah, which makes complete sense too right because also the other mm -hmm. thing to account for is just making sure you don't miss a dose like you have to take that dose so they prefer yeah you take it whether it's 30 minutes late or 30 minutes after what have you then mm -hmm. like skip it completely because it does get confusing especially if you're not aware of what the time zone is in the place that you're going to and while you're on the plane the time zones are changing that if you can't account for those hours and you're not really sure like when you took your medication yeah. and then you completely are off with the math. So um, I think that's the most confusing part, to be honest. <laughs> it's the most confusing. And the trickiest part is like, 
um, one of the trickiest parts for me is on the plane itself, like you just said, like the time zones are changing as you're on the plane, um, as you're flying to your destination. And so what I do is, I mean, this is what I usually like rely on is my phone. So you know how when you get on the plane, they ask you to put your phone on airplane mode. Yeah. And so I I keep my phone on airplane mode the whole time, even though I'm at a stop. So let's say I'm flying from Minneapolis to Nairobi and I'm stopping in Europe, say Amsterdam. I'm not going to turn on my phone. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to remove the airplane mode because if I re remove the airplane mode, then my phone will adjust to the local time in Amsterdam. And that's just going to confuse me even more. And so what I do is I, um, I have my phone stay on airplane mode throughout the whole flight um, until I reach my local destination. That way, um, because chances are, if you're in a super long flight, that's more than 12 hours long, you're going to take your medications on transit on the plane, um, maybe at the stop that you're going to be at. So what helps me to avoid that, like just to minimize that confusion as much as possible is just keeping my phone in airplane mode throughout the whole time, even when I'm at a stop, um, just so that I am aware, like, okay, so that my alarm, the alarms that I've set in place are still working with my local time. So I don't get confused until, until I reach my destination is when I can switch things up, you know? Yeah, I agree. I know um, with, with traveling, talking about medications and how to travel with your medications, um, I know one of the biggest thing is like, okay, you want to make sure, how, depending on how you pack your medication, that your medication doesn't get lost for whatever reason. And that can happen, right, with baggage that you check in, that it can get lost or it can get delayed, that it's always important to take at least a set of medication with you on your flight with you. So that's in your carry-on um, that you can have like either in your suitcase or your backpack or your purse or whatever mechanism that you use. Um, but to keep at least a set, um, I prefer to keep at least a week of medication on me and those pill organizers um, so that I have it with me and I can grab it whenever I need it. And also with that, I know with, with you and I, Faduma, um, we kind of have to take food with our medication. Um, I know they say some medications to take it without having food, but I get nauseous. <laughs> um, so having some sort of food on you, I know people will give food on flights, depending on what airline it is and what the, the time difference is and how far you're traveling, but to have some sort of snack or food with you along with your medication so that you have that um, no matter where you're going, whether you're, you know, your things get lost or not, at least it'll be there with you on arrival at your destination. Um, I don't know if, you know, Fajima, you or Fatu have your preference in regard to like how you travel with your medication, uh, what you take with you on your flight or um, on your journey. Is there anything in particular that you guys do? Yeah, I uh, like you, Hiral. I also pack my medications with me on my on my um, hand luggage on my carry on. Um, for example, the trip that I um, that I took from Minneapolis to Nairobi was for a very long time, right? It was about six to eight months. And so I don't trust um, like 
cargo and like luggage people because like you said things can happen like your suitcases can get lost um through transit um who knows that hasn't happened to me ever with my travel experience but um you know we were more we're paying more attention to these kind of things um post transplant or with a chronic illness right because um i think as as a chronic illness patient as a kidney transplant patient um there's just you know you our relationship to fear or taking risks has changed where you we we tend to be more careful and more you know we take our time thinking about um thinking about processes or what we can do next or what the next step is or what we need to prepare because um you know we we live with a chronic illness we're more vulnerable than we were um you know pre before diagnosis and so one thing that i do is um i i pack everything all like if i'm traveling for 6 months i know i'm not going to come back i pack all of my 6 month worth of medications in my carry on luggage and so um that's something i was actually concerned about when um the first time i did that and one thing i um one thing i requested from my medical team is a um a list of my medications and just have it in um in a in a letter that's authorized by by my hospital and by my medical team because um chances are if you're carrying a large amount of medications with you and you're going through customs especially in the United States um you may get pulled um, pulled aside and so just having the documentations with you on standby um to explain why you're carrying that amount of medication and what it's for is really important um to have that with you um in case you're ever stopped by security and so um the the certain trips we have had like with just for short term and like you here I'll just carry like maybe two work two weeks worth of medications on my carry on but for my longer trips i would take um a much a much bigger um like supply of medications and just have it with me in the carry on cuz you never know what would happen and so that's something that's something i've um i've been doing post transplant um with my travels it's just packing everything with me and i highly recommend the letter that you were talking about and i think that i kind of learned the hard way because before i don't think it was a problem really to travel with medications and things and i think now there's so many different countries that recognize different medications or different substances as like different they classify them differently than we do here in the states so like something here that we think is just like a streamlined regular uh, medication might be actually considered something illegal abroad and um i actually got held um by customs in hong kong because i had lost my medication actually i had lost one of my medications and obviously like our lifeline is our medication so you can't really travel if you don't have your medication um but my mom had tried to send me um uh, one of my medications um that i had lost and customs held it and they were, they actually thought my myfortic or or selsept was um it's considered an illegal substance there in um yeah there in hong kong so what ended up happening was they held on to the medication and then i didn't have any documentation with me in that moment showing them like okay this is the medical condition i have these are the medications i take this is like an essential part of my life um and it's like a necessity and so since i didn't have that they wouldn't release the medication over to me until 
that was verified by a physician. So I had to actually go to the airport um, and speak to a physician there. Apparently most airports have some sort of clinic within the airport in case something happens to somebody while in transit. Um, so I had to go and speak to a physician there, pay them for their services so they could actually verify that I had this condition, um, make a note of it, give me a letter, and then that's what I used to actually release the medication from the customs uh, department there. So essentially, if you don't have that, you're putting yourself at risk of possibly um, having your medications detained. Yeah. And then in order for them to be released, you have to show some sort of proof. So it's always easier just to talk to your doctor in advance, let them know where you're going or just ask for a letter. And you can use that letter at any point. Um, and it, you don't have to have multiple letters. You can just have that one letter just stating what your medical condition is, why um, you need the medications you do, what those medications are and like, you know, um, the information of the doctor in case they do want to reach out to this person um, just to verify. So it's just good to have all of that. Um, and then on top of that, have insurance, right? Like we do have whatever insurance we have here in the States, but if you're traveling, knowing that you have some sort of health condition in case something happens abroad, it's always good to have some sort of additional insurance policy that you can buy online just to cover your time period abroad. So like, let's say if you drink the, the water there, that you weren't supposed to, and it has some sort of bacteria in there and you happen to get sick and you need to um, get some fluids in your system at a hospital abroad, then like that would get covered knowing that you had some sort of condition um, affect you while on your travels. Um, and those are pretty inexpensive policies if you think about it. And I think it's always just good for us to have it because even if we do have an insurance policy here, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's accepted worldwide right so like it's always good to have something wherever you're going because that will get accepted there in that location at that time period um and it's always you know helpful especially if like we we, we tend to get sick pretty often you know what I mean there's always something that we're, we're coming across so like if there's something that we're coming across there and then we need to come home for example and our trip gets cut short um knowing that we have that policy as a backup is always helpful too. But um, I know with you, Fatu, you had an experience recently with a nurse practitioner, I believe, at a travel clinic, um, just to get more information about where you were trying to travel to, and they provided you information of what to do in case you're traveling and what to look out for. So if you can speak into that. Yeah, sure. Um, so last year, um, I was planning on going, you know, to my family's native country of, you know, Gambia, West Africa. Um, this would have been like my first time to go. Unfortunately, you know, due to the pandemic, like everybody else, my travel plans were halted. So yeah, so I did let my doctors know that, you know, I was planning this trip to, you know, Africa. Um, and because it, it is, you know, considered like a third world country, there is some things that, you know, we as transplant patients or just people more, you know, a part of the more vulnerable population have to be, you know, aware of and more uh, cautious of. So um, at the travel clinic, um, I'm not sure if most hospitals um, offer them, but it, at my clinic, um, at the University of Maryland, they do. Um, so basically, it's just like a team of specialists that um, 
they are able to like determine whichever location you're traveling to. They're able to determine like, you know, outbreaks of um, any diseases, um, typical things that people need to be cautious of, um, whether that's like, you know, their water, water contamination, or maybe just in general things to avoid, or even just areas to avoid because of malaria or whichever. So I went to the travel clinic and I got some information. Um, they were able to, you know, look up Gambia and just tell me like things that, um, that things that I already like typically knew, but they're able to, you know, just overall specialize and give you like a lot more detailed information. So they were just telling me like, um, you know, Africa has a problem with like, well, that part of Africa, Gambia has a problem with like yellow fever, um, tuberculosis, um, malaria. So um, they were just telling me like, well, they wanted to prescri prescribe me some, um, you know, malaria pills, um, which I believe that's like a problem in most of Africa where, you know, you get mosquito um, bites and it can make you very sick. Um, yellow fever is a little bit of an issue, like I mentioned. So they wanted me to get like a yellow fever. Um, it was like some sort of vaccination for that. Um, at the time, though, they were telling me that the yellow fever vaccine or medication was like, it was a bit limited. Um, but so they didn't offer it, unfortunately. But if I were to go, I would just have to be a little bit, you know, cautious and such. Um, also, like, also with, you know, going to place, you know, this, this area of Gambia would have been like a whole new location for me. So I'm not too familiar with like the foods and such. So they were also warning me. And I also heard this from family members as well, just to avoid like certain foods um, that typical people that were actually born and raised there would, you know, have no problem eating. But me coming from the United States where, you know, our water is clean differently. Um, we have different exposures to like different foods and um, you know, the bacteria over there would have been a little bit harmful as well. So they suggested that I avoid um, like their tap water over there or the well water. Um, and just like while I was, if I were to go, like try to like buy like, you know, bottled water from the store. Um, yeah, bottled water from the store. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, avoid street food. Um, you know, food that is sold, you know, sold on the street by vendors and such, avoid those type of foods. Um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, oh, also, um, they have a problem, of course, with like, you know, the we have flies and mosquitoes over here, but over there, it's like a whole nother thing as well. So they were just also telling me like, when I sleep, you know, um, try to get like some sort of net. Um, it's, it's, it's familiar to people who actually live there. Um, but basically a net that can kind of protect you while you're sleeping from the mosquitoes to avoid bites. Like, even though it's hot out there, wear long sleeve shirts because, you know, it gets really hot um, to avoid mosquito bites and, you know, wear sunscreen regularly as well. So there was a lot of things that they wanted me to be really, you know, cautious of. So it would have been yeah. like a fun trip, but at the same time, it's like, I have to like, you know, I can't just go there like free, you know what I mean? Like I have to be like- yeah, I have to like be kind of on eggshells while I'm there almost. Yeah, especially like you said, this was the, this would have been your first time visiting the Gambia. Yes, so um, it would have been my first time and I forgot to mention they like, because it would have been my first time as well, 
only stay there for like a week or 10 days just to make sure that, you know, I'm going to be okay for like the next trip. Mm -hmm. And, and possibly, possibly if anything were to go wrong, I could leave immediately. So yeah, a lot lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of like, um, precautions and preparations. I had I had a similar conversation with my travel office at the Mayo Clinic, when I was now taking um, that uh, longer trip from Minneapolis to Kenya. And um, seeing as I was raised in Kenya for the most part of my life. And um, that's where I was actually diagnosed with chronic kidney failure. I'm quite familiar with with Kenya and I have family here. I have a home here. Um, And so I think it was, I felt like I was, um, you know, in that conversation with the travel office and even with my transplant care team, I feel like I was the one um, keeping them at ease and letting them know, actually, like, you know, I have a place there. Like I, they, I, the exact same conversation I had with them, like Hufa too, where they recommended me to, to drink bottled water. And up to today, because I'm um, currently based in Nairobi, Kenya still, I, I, I drink bottled water at all times. So I have like a huge, um, like tank of like 20 liters of water that I finish in a week or so and I keep changing that so that's something that I still keep a close eye on and this one what that uh, it's pretty much like what was recommended to me also when I was when I was going through dialysis um, no matter where I went a restaurant whatever it is don't eat cold salads don't Um, drink juices because you don't know how fresh they are and so those are um, precautions that I would that I used to take um, when I was on dialysis even in the United States and so that's something that I was you know aware of and keep like holding myself accountable to Um, and like you also for two even with my travel office um, they had supplied me with malaria pills just in case Um, although I told them Nairobi is prone to malaria um, like mosquito bites and all of that but uh, like it's something I feel like I'm immune to at this point because uh, I've you know I was raised here but I I took the pills just as a precaution because um, you know I I'm now venturing I was venturing into a new lifestyle with essentially a new body and a and a weakened immune system so you can never be too careful Um, yeah I I was going to mention, so I guess that would be like the difference between you and I, even though like, you know, I was like born and raised here. I've never been to Africa, but Mm -hmm. even though like I would have had those, that conversation and like all these precautions taken and you were like born and raised over there and you're still having to take the same precautions and stuff. So I guess, um, I guess it doesn't matter, right? If, even if you even if you were used to the system or used to the water, you still have to take like the same precautions. Cause um, I remember when my mom was going to the Africa, the first time in like 20 years, um, she said that even though she, you know, born and raised there, but it's been so long. And she was telling me that um, when she went down there, like she ate some food and it made her stomach upset, um, Mm. you know, things like that. So so I'm just saying like, it doesn't really matter. You, even if you were raised, you should still try to take like these precautions. Yeah, I think everyone's body kind of adapts after a while, because like even going back to India, when my parents go like they have to take um, because malaria is an issue there, too. So like they have to take malaria medications and they don't drink um, non bottled water and they don't eat the street foods and stuff because 
their gut has now adjusted to the way things are here in the States and like things seem to be, they can go both ways, right? Things seem to be a little more processed here or have more, um, you know, I guess like pesticides and stuff are used here, right? In like farms and things like that. But there, there's a lot more bacteria because like things just sit around a lot. And -hmm. then there's like flies that have these diseases and stuff like that. So like, there's a variety of things to consider, but like, I think here in the States, we probably have it a lot better than other places. So like, if there's a standard here, then there's a different standard somewhere else. And that standard doesn't meet the standard here. So it's like, we just have to um, make sure that whatever we're eating, we can still eat, but it has to be cooked, right? It has to be cooked and it can't be anything that's, um, something that's like stagnant like a salad for example or even like water because sometimes with the water if it's not getting processed it's just sitting there then like that could be dirty too absolutely yeah absolutely like um i'm about to in the next couple of weeks i'm traveling to rwanda kigali which is a country um that neighbors kenya um for work and that's something that i'm thinking about right like what like like is water accessible like you know um would it be more bottled water for me would I stick to that what foods should I watch out for um you know what delicacies are there um just doing a little bit of research um before my flight and so um I know after that I may be traveling to Ethiopia as well and so these are these are things I'm even thinking about because those are completely new environments for me that I've never traveled to before I don't really know too many people and so it would be it would be a completely new experience um uh compared to you know my experience living in Kenya and in the U.S. um so I feel like that's where I would now like really get into the research and understand like okay like you know what restaurants are close by and and all of that um but even even for me like what happens like when I'm traveling um especially for long place whatever it is even on a road trip um I know there's certain things in addition to what um Harrell and I was speaking to earlier about packing and medications and the necessary documents to support the amount of medication that you're carrying and um also letters around um around you know your health condition um in case you in case you get ill on the plane um you know god forbid or while you're in transit or even in your local destination to have all of those documents with you but um another aspect of of what i carry with me is um sort of i would say supplies <laughs> that um to uh just to feel more ready and prepared um to help with disinfecting and um, and just ensuring that I'm minimizing the risks of uh, of getting infected or I'm um, getting sick or ill. And uh, I've tried to I've tried to recall if that's something I used to do before transplant, before COVID, but I don't think I used to. Which now that I'm um, adjusting to this new li- this new lifestyle, I I just keep wondering like how was I so comfortable <laughs> just jumping on a plane and just eating off of whatever they gave me and not like even like just because I don't even think they used to supply wet wipes so you just have to wash your hands in the bathroom or something um it's crazy I keep thinking about I keep thinking about pre-covid pre-transplant life for myself and (laughs) I just wonder like how was I um living life like that um with like minimal precautions um 
but uh but yeah so one like what what i usually do on the plane on my flights is i i disinfect um everything when it comes to um the chair um the table tray um even the headphones if i'm using them um if i'm sitting on a window uh window seat even like the whole window pane because sometimes i usually like um you know place my head against the the window sort of wall of the plane and so um, having a, a good amount of wet wipes helps me and um, antibacterial um, hand sprays. Um, now with COVID even just having um, a good a good number of like disposable masks and then I also have cloth masks so um, I usually double mask before COVID um, still during transplant um, post transplant but before COVID I would uh, I still would wear a cloth mask mostly um, that sort of have like a ventilation um, aspect of the mask um, so that's something I used to do but now with COVID I tend to double mask and make sure that I have a good number of disposable masks with me and I even carry one to three cloth masks um, in case I feel like I need to change. Um, I know it's recommended on flights now because of COVID to regularly change your cloth, um, to regularly change your masks, especially the disposable ones. Um, so that's something I try to do um, every couple of hours, four to five, four to six hours. Um, and uh, I guess with uh, with traveling through uh, traveling um, through this COVID period. Um, airlines that I've used are quite, um, they provide quite a number of supplies. Um, I know the airlines that I've used like uh, KLM and I think it's really KLM that I've just used recently during COVID. They um, they supply, uh, they supply you with uh, wet wipes, with like mini sprays. Um, I know at the very beginning, um, some airlines even provided like um, face masks and all of that, but I think now that's um, that's on us too to have that equipped. But um, but even like once I arrive home, I make sure I disinfect every thing, even my suitcase, like everything, um, like my phone, everything, anything that I touched, earphones, everything. Even when I'm on transit and I'm at that stop, just making sure that I'm disinfecting my phone, like anything that I was regularly touching on the plane, I would disinfect that once I once I'm on land and um, even disposing of my clothes immediately once I get to my um, destination, taking a shower, like just making sure that everything is clean and squeaky, even like my water bottle, everything. So I would say the biggest tip when it comes to just making sure that you're minimizing your risk for infections is just being aware of your surroundings and being mindful of what you're regularly touching and um, you know, now it's it's a regulation that you have to wear your face mask on the plane. And so um, when you do take your mask off for a sip of water or um, or to eat something, or if you feel like just just being aware of not touching your face and um, and and just minimizing that risk. And 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 if you are aware that these are the items that you have been regularly touching, to keep disinfecting that, or just regularly disinfect that, and just yeah, just being aware of that. So I know it's easier said than done. Um, we're human beings, we tend to forget. And sometimes you just randomly touch something and you forget. But um, but yeah, that's something that has helped me is just being aware of that and 
um, especially if you're traveling with people, I think that really helps because then you have like an accountability system around you or you're more aware of it and um, you get to sit together. Um, but if you're traveling alone, just being more aware of um, especially who you're sitting next to and what they're touching. And um, I know sometimes it can feel like overthinking, but I feel like as um, as immuno, um, as you know, patients that take immunosuppressants who have a weakened immune system as a result, that this is a part of our life now where we have to be, you know, be more intuitive and mindful and just being more aware, which sometimes can sound like overthinking, but I think it's necessary, especially during um, during the period that we are that we're living in right now with the pandemic. So. I don't know if that's um, that's something that you can relate to Fatu or Hiral. Yeah, no, I just, um, I can definitely agree, especially now that, um, not really airport related, but you know, I'm at, I work at the hospitals now on the weekends and um, I would just say overall, like just don't get too comfortable in your surroundings, um, whether that's on the airplane, in the hospital, wherever in general, just always keep in the back of your mind, like I have to be careful. I know, like you said, that is hard to do because we're just humans, but um, if you just have that in your mind, that can kind of, you know, be a, uh, be a directive and be like, okay, I'm here. I got to do this. No touching. You know what I mean? <laughs> because you just never know, unfortunately, especially in places like on the plane and airports, it's, you're constantly like, you're so close to people. I'm not sure how... Um, I know some airports, they are kind of like doing the, you know, letting like a space in the seat, right, where, you know, one person sits at the end or, you know, not like so people don't sit closely next to each other, but then um, I know also sometimes. It, it, it depends, like certain airlines, because I, um, uh, earlier this month, uh, earlier this year when I was traveling to the U.S., I um, just had a... Um, <laughs> an experience on uh, on on the airline from Nairobi to Minneapolis where I was um, sitting next to I, I was traveling with a group of, of my cousins and so the idea was for us all to sit together but unfortunately our seat arrangements didn't allow that and so I was um, sitting in the middle sit and so I was like fingers crossed like I really hope that no one was sitting next to me no one was sitting next to me and then eventually um, this middle-aged guy sat next to me and he wasn't wearing his face mask he kept coughing and sneezing. I started freaking out. I, I was literally like crying, tears in my eyes. I was double masked. And so my whole face was like wet and I was like wearing a mask. I felt like I couldn't breathe <laughs> because of all of that. And so I, I just, I feel like I wanted to shout at the guy, but I just knew that that would not resolve anything. and would just make the situation you know, worse and uncomfortable, especially because you're in like in a confined space for a couple of hours. And so um, thankfully the seat, once everyone was seated down, thankfully the seat that was next to my cousins was vacant. And so I jumped on that seat and just moved because I was not comfortable with that. And um, there was a recent flight from Amsterdam to Nairobi that I took um, on my way back now. And the flight was completely full, like as we were boarding the flight from Amsterdam to Nairobi, I could just see how full the plane was. There's so many kids, so many families um, coming for their summer holiday in Kenya. 
And I knew I could not handle that. Like I, I would just be a very anxiety inducing trip and I would just be overwhelmed and completely stressed out. And so what I did was I upgraded. Um, thankfully, KLM, the airline that I was going with, had a an offer and it was available. Rarely do upgrades usually uh, are available with my experience, um, especially post-transplant. I've tried getting upgrades like on standby, like as, you, as I'm about to board the flight and they never allowed that with my experience. And so I was really grateful that for this time around that they did and I hopped in that. I closed my eyes and said, you know what? I'm gonna pay no matter how much it is for the sake of my sanity and my space. Um, and I am glad that I did because that flight was completely packed. And so I think now, especially this year with the vaccine rollout, airlines are tending to be more relaxed where they, they, they don't necessarily have that space between seats, which is very, very frustrating. Um, and I think that experience where I where I got so stressed out and overwhelmed sitting next to someone who was in masked and I think it's something that we all struggle with. Um, like you said, for two, like having that like sense of control and wanting to control every aspect of our environment. And sometimes it's close to impossible to, to have 100% um, control of the environment, especially when you're flying, especially when you're surrounded by people that you don't know. And so what, what really helps is just, what has really helped me and what I can share with our listeners is just preparing as much as possible before the trip, you know, do your research about where you're traveling to, um, have all the necessary documentations ready, um, have your um, quote unquote cleaning supplies ready for, for your travel trip. Um, just be, and even talk to the airline if it's possible to, um, to have a seat space um, that's just for you, that's vacant. Um, they may not promise that, but even just advocating for yourself because you never know if if they can provide that for you. If, you know, maybe you're talking to someone who is super empathetic and would understand your situation. Um, I would say never just assume that, oh, I can't talk to the airline. They probably won't get my situation, especially because of COVID. Everyone is at risk, not just me anymore. But I would still, I would still urge you to have that conversation um, with them because they may accommodate your, um, your specific needs. And, um, and if you're traveling with people that you know, the better, um, just making sure you're, you know, within that space with them um, to make you feel more comfortable. But um, just, just thinking about it ahead of time, just being prepared um, and just realizing that, you know, there are certain situations that you may not have 100% control over and that is completely okay. Um, and not to beat too much, like not to beat yourself too much about it. Um, but that would be my take when it comes to just like, over like preparing for um, preparing for travel, especially during COVID times. I would say that because um, I've gone on domestic flights since COVID, you know, hit and shut down the country, but um, there are no like social distancing rules at this point. It seems like because airlines are, yeah, what you said, Faduma, following the vaccination guidelines and seeing that people are getting vaccinated, that maybe that would reduce um, the transmission of COVID, even though clearly there's no information around that. Um, 
But I going on the most recent flights, there were no wipes provided. There was no cleaning done. It literally, people were getting off the plane and we got right onto the plane. So there was no downtime to clean um, the flights. The flights, yeah, the plane was completely booked. Um, you happen to sit next to a stranger. You can't really choose who you sit next to. I know they did say like, you have to wear a mask. So I think the one thing that you people have going for them, especially if they're kind of anxious about getting on a flight is that like they can advocate for themselves when they're on the flight, they can speak to, um, you know, a stewardess or an air hostess and ask like, Hey, this person's not wearing their mask or they're doing X, Y, and Z. Can you move me? Or can you make sure that they're wearing their mask? So there are like ways to, um, get control in regard to people wearing their masks, but there's no social distancing, there's no cleaning going on. So I think the best thing you can do for yourself is just make sure that if you do have those concerns, knowing that yes, you're gonna get onto a plane that and sit in a seat that maybe someone else has sat in right before you, is to just take your sanitizer, take your cleaning wipes and just wipe things down and, um, or spray things down if you can and just um, hope that if, that's a short flight and that you didn't sign yourself up for a long trip or a long flight, um, knowing that there's a possibility you could have some anxiety around that. Um, and that's just traveling nowadays, right? I think it was actually better traveling during COVID because it seems like the flights uh, were a lot less packed and there was social distancing going on. But now that um, the vaccine rollout has happened and CDC guidelines have changed, seems like things are kind of going back to normal, except for the fact that people have to wear a mask on the flight. Um, but I would say going to your destination and the last thing I wanna let people know is um, based on where you're going and doing your research, I would recommend knowing where you're, where you're staying, uh, what the surrounding area is like, where the closest embassy is, where the closest hospital is, um, where the closest airport is and having all that information on you. Um, maybe printing it out or keeping it on your phone, having some sort of record of it, because in case something does happen, at least, you know, you know, the, the few landmarks um, to kind of function or work within those um, guidelines in case something does happen. And you can always register yourself at that local embassy, um, letting that embassy know that you're staying there, where you're staying and how long you're staying for. So in case something does happen and no one, Here's for you from you for whatever reason, or um, there seems to be some sort of delay in communication between you and you know your loved ones. That there is a record of you and where you're staying and where you're at, so someone can kind of follow that little trail. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's so much around traveling, and there's so many things that come up when you're actually on your adventure. So uh, we definitely love to hear what your experiences are like and. Um, let us know what you think of the podcast, any feedback you have. We really do appreciate you guys tuning in um, and we're excited to talk to you next week um, for the upcoming episodes. So thank you again for your time and thank you again, ladies, for this awesome conversation.